This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're joining us today. Today, you are listening to episode 83, and my guest is Angela Douglas. Angela is an amazing human, and I had the best conversation with her today. It really brought me a lot of energy to carry on with my Friday in a positive way. She is the executive director for Healthy New Albany, which is an organization that promotes wellness in Columbus, Ohio. They conduct races. They have toddler and nature programs. They have nourished cooking lessons. They have a food pantry. They have five races throughout the year that help fund their programming. And they also have a virtual kids marathon. You do 26 miles over an eight-week period. Uh, She started the food pantry in her garage when she was pregnant and had a one and a half year old. So there's a whole story there and it is really cool to hear how that all evolved. She also served in the army for four years. So we get to hear about that experience a little bit and how that shaped how she views life every day and feels a pull to make an impact in what she does. In this episode, we talk about finding ways to give our kids perspective. We talk about kids and sports and athletics and the importance of moving our bodies and so much more. She was a dream interview. It was just so fun. So I hope that you take as much from it as I did. I think she's going to energize you to go do something good. Friends, this episode is sponsored by Shoot Photography. Holy moly, if you are looking to get some family pictures taken, you need to check them out. Their sessions are totally free to book and you only pay for the photos you love. Sessions take place at stunning outdoor locations in 60 cities nationwide. Surely there is one near you. And let me just tell you, our family had a 30-minute session a couple weekends ago and we got our pictures back in one day so fast and 30 minutes is such a great amount of time with the kids because that's about all they have to give Uh, and so this is so smart I think it's so smart like get your Christmas card picture taken you know Um, or if a kid has a birthday or graduating anything you can get these photos taken and it's so affordable Uh, but yeah go to shoot.com that's s-h-o-o-t-t.com and use that code SANDYBOY once you get your pictures back for 15% off five photos or more. Go check them out. You won't regret it. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Angela. All right. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Angela Douglas on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you. You have your hands in so many cool projects in the New Albany area. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background in, in your work? I know you were also in the army, which is so cool. Yes. In fact, I would say the work I'm doing now, I probably have really no background for. It just kind of evolved. And um, I think that's kind of the beauty of it, I guess, to some degree. So yeah, I was um, commissioned in the army after my undergrad at John Carroll. So I went in as a second lieutenant, um, spent about five years active duty, four years reserve, um, and came out as a captain and went to get a master's and kind of thought I would go into foreign service. I was in Intel before in the army, so I thought I would kind of keep down that road. And needless to say, um, after I finished my master's program, I met my husband, had kids, and my career got derailed in a good way. Um, so yeah, so had, um, got married, had kids and just started, I stayed at home, worked with my husband, who's kind of an entrepreneur on building some of his businesses. And then as I was home, um, with two kids, well, pregnant with one and had a two-year-old, um, that's kind of when the food pantry fell into my lap. And that's kind of what pushed me on this trajectory totally, you know, unexpectedly. What motivated you or inspired you to join the army? Um, Wow. Well, honestly, I wanted to get the heck out of Akron, Ohio. So, um, and I had a really, I will say I had a really great um, high school counselor at, I went to Hoban and he was a West Pointer. And he said, I just really think that this program would be great for you. Um, You could travel the world and do so many interesting things. And it just sounded really great to me. So 
kind of on the fly, I applied for an ROTC scholarship, but John Carolyn got it. Um, and I thought, well, you know, nobody else is doing this, so I may as well. So what did you serve overseas? Like what years were you in the army? Yes, I was in from, was it 97 to like 2001 or two okay. um, active duty. So I did, I was stationed out of Fort Hood, Texas, um, part of the first cab, which was amazing. We were highly deployable unit. So um, definitely I was around quite a bit. Um, I would say the most memorable experience was probably being stationed in Sarajevo um, after the Bosnian conflict. I was there as part of the national intelligence cell and it was probably the most life ex- life-changing experience I've ever had, just experiencing a country in in the midst of war. Um, I worked in some of the refugee camps with the Red Cross, and we volunteered. We got a group volunteering at some of the orphanages in the city after the war. So it was, um, yeah, definitely difficult, but really a wonderful and life-changing experience. Wow. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. Wow. I just can't imagine experiencing that. Do you think going, like watching and being a part of and volunteering those with those hardships led you, you like you might not have even planned it, but like led you to doing the work you do now with the food pantry? A million percent. I, I literally came back. I spent after that, I spent two years in Korea and worked in orphanages there too. And it literally, it changed my soul. I just couldn't, after coming back and seeing all that, right, you come back to the U.S. And at that point, I transitioned out. So I became a civilian. And it, you just it's really difficult to even go back into normal life after you've seen such suffering. And you think, oh, my gosh, as I sit here right now, literally on the couch, I'm you know eating pizza, watching a movie or I'm out with my friends shopping. I know what's happening around the other side of the world. And you just can't. It's really hard to kind of um, merge back into normal life without that constantly spinning in your brain. So, yeah, I definitely think um, it just it put service on my heart. And I knew coming back the only way I could make sense of the world. You know, we live in this lush, amazing, beautiful, wonderful country. Meanwhile, other people, I mean, look at Ukraine now. Right. They're being bombed and they're, the kids are literally traversing minefields on the way to school or their parents were killed. And now they are placed in an orphanage. In, in some cases in in Bosnia after the war, they were refused from orphanages because they weren't the right ethnicity. So to see orphans turned away from orphanages, I mean, you just, you can't, you're never the same again. So yeah, I think to make sense of the world, I thought, okay, I have to serve. Um, and I don't know how to do that. And then the food pantry came along and I thought, okay, well, this is hard. And I'm literally pregnant with a two-year-old and I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to do it. So that's, yeah, for sure. That's how it all started. Wow. That's like, that's so cool. It is hard to like reconcile the feelings of like, my life is so easy. You know, not to say that we don't have health concerns and things like that that pop up. We all have our own like stories we're walking through, but it is really hard to be like, is it okay that I'm just living this like easy life when you've seen so much struggle? it's really hard to contend with. And you just feel guilty. Like I yeah. can't, I cannot walk around and complain about, you know, the rain or, you know, this line that I'm in at the grocery yeah. store, you know, knowing. And so I think, I think a lot about that for my kids, to be honest, because I think honestly, they don't have much adversity. We, we live in this beautiful bubble. We're so blessed in so many ways. So it's important for me to figure out for my kids sake, because I know it only benefits them. How can they see the world differently so that they understand how much they have? To be honest, I think seeing the mental health crisis that so many of our kids are in right now, I think that's a lot of it. Mm. They just have no perspective. Mm. If they could see the suffering and turmoil that the, that other people live in, I think it would change their perspective and they would realize how lucky we are. Um, so that's really important for me just for our kids. And I don't know how, to, to be honest, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but it's important to me t- to figure that out. I think it's really helpful for their sake and for all of our sake, for all of us to just have that perspective. That's really powerful. And I feel that constantly. I even just like the simplicity of like, oh, we're just getting McDonald's for dinner. Like all the easy things that they just get because we just can. I'm like, how can I make them understand that this is like really special? Like this is this is a special life that they get to live. Um, but so with the food pantry and though, I know you said you don't know how you're going to show them that, but they see it through your work. So there's step one, right? 
I hope so. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I think I'm so absorbed in it. Maybe I don't realize. I do think the kids have always been involved in and around the pantry, stocking, carrying bags, seeing me working in service. So I do think it impacts them. I hope so, I guess. I hope so. It's easy to just like go through the motions every day, like get the kids to school, go to soccer, you know, do all the things, eat dinner and go to bed. And in the back of my mind, I also wrestle with these thoughts that you have, like, how am I going to show them like, you know, perspective, but then I keep going. It's just this vicious cycle of like, not vicious, but like, it's this cycle of like, you know, this is what our lives are. So hopefully this conversation can inspire me, you, everybody listening to incorporate some perspective into our kids' lives. Tell us about when you started the food pantry. So I was actually um, volunteering. There was another local pantry um, here close by. So I started volunteering there and then quickly the woman that was running it had a lot of medical issues. And within six months of me starting to volunteer, she said, I can't run it anymore. I'm getting divorced and I have a brain tumor. Oh gosh. I have to shut it down. And I'm literally at the time I was pregnant and I had a two and a half year old. And I was like, no, 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 no. I cannot run a food pantry. I know nothing about running a food pantry, but sure enough. I mean, finally she came to me and said, I literally, I'm shutting it down. I can't, I cannot do this anymore. So of course I said, yes, at that point. So that was probably in 2015. And we operated it in the same place. It was here at Little Turtle for about six months. And then we couldn't keep insurance on the building anymore. Um, there was too much mold, literally standing water and mold in the basement. So we couldn't keep insurance. So I shut it down um, in that building. And at the time, we were serving some New Albany families and even people that were employed at the school campus. And I really bothered me that we shut down. I didn't know where they were going to be able to go for help because many food pantries are restricted by your zip code. So they lived in New Albany, therefore they couldn't go to the Gahanna Pantry or the Westerville mm-hmm. Pantry. They didn't have the right zip code. So I had a dear friend here that I still work with, um, and she and I set up some shelves in the garage and went to Aldi and Costco and just stocked the shelves and started packing bags and delivering them um, on doorsteps for people that signed up. Wow. How did you then go on to continue to fund it? Because obviously that would be a very heavy expense to continue to fund yourself. Yeah, we um, we just got donations. Honestly, the community was so amazing and supportive. And so at that point, we shut down that one 501 and we opened up another. Okay. So then we had a 501c3 that we could kind of put out there and say we went from the Village Coalition Against Hunger to the New Albany Food Pantry. I met with um, the head of the Westerville Pantry, um, Scott Marrier, and he kind of said, this is what you do. Okay. These are the roads. Do these 10 things and this will help you. So I literally followed his checkboxes got the 501. And then we just started, you know, advertising. We had a website, we pushed out um, information on who we were serving and asked for donations. The community responded amazingly. Um, We ran it for about two years out of my garage, packing and delivering bags. And then I think it was 2016, we went to the school or 18 and went to um, our superintendent, Michael Sawyers, and said, hey, we're serving, you know, X number of kids in the district. And I, you know, we can't continue to fund it this way. It's super expensive to buy retail food. If we can become a partner with the Middle Health Food Bank, we can purchase so much more, just the economies of scale. But we need a place to do that. They won't authorize me as a partner in my garage. So he literally looked at his watch and said, do you have five minutes? I will walk you over. And he gave me a room. Um, And that's the space we're still operating out of. So, wow, that is so cool. You just like put yourself out there and ask. Totally. Yep. And he, he loves his kids. He loves the the students. And I knew from what everybody said to me, just go to him and ask him and tell him what you're doing. If you're serving and helping his families, he's going to support you. And sure enough, he did. Um, I also love that you weren't trying to like reinvent the wheel. Like you went to the Westerfield Phil guy and was like, and we're like, Hey, this is what I want to do. What do I do? And you just did his steps. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing and they were so generous. In fact, all the food pantries did that. We went to Westerville, Worthington, Gahanna, and they all literally, they would copy their like zip drives there from their hard drives. Like, here you go. Here's all of our forms. Here's how you do it. That's you awesome. Know, yeah. They were great. Um, so we got it up and running in the school. We moved, borrowed a truck, moved everything my, from my garage over to the school campus and stocked the shelves. And it's just the coolest place in the whole world. It's just such a beautiful little community space. And, you know, some pantries are kind of depressing and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just not that it's super fun. The volunteers are so passionate and they, I think what makes it really cool and special is that they serve 
truly with equanimity. So when somebody walks in the door, it's like having a friend over. They're like, hey, Sarah, it's so great to see you. How was your week? You know, can I help you? Let me help you get, you know, do you need anything? Or it's just, it's like having a friend over. So it's a really beautiful dynamic where people enjoy coming and um, develop really nice friendships. How do you think that that atmosphere has been cultivated? To be honest, we wrote it into the mission. Um, We wrote, Eileen uh, was the dear friend of mine that helped me get it off the ground. And that's what she always talked about was just that, um, what's the word that she uses? Hospitality and and serving with that sense of hospitality as though you're having a friend over. So um, we wrote it into the mission that that's the spirit in which we would serve um, as though we're having a friend over and hosting them for lunch in a spirit of, of hospitality. And then what does it look like? I know I'm kind of getting into the nitty gritty a little bit here, but like, what does it look like? Do people get like vouchers or something and they can come once a week or they can come anytime? How do you kind of like make sure that you're keeping things organized? Yeah. So we have a a system that Mid-Ohio requires that we enter information into called Pantry Track. So everybody is loaded up into the system. When they come in, you register. We are open uh, twice a month. So the second and the fourth weeks of every month, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and it's by appointment. So you register for your appointment. You're able to come twice a month if you need it twice a month. Um, We log you in and um, verify your address. And then all of that data is fed back to Mid-Ohio Food Bank just to keep our statistics. And it's really helpful for us because obviously for funding, we need to show who we're serving, how many people, how many meals, um, all of that demographics and statistical information is really important. So six days out of the month, you're open. Through the school year. And then over the summer, we also do a summer meals program. So families are able to shop like they normally are. And then because the kids aren't getting their normal meals at school, um, we pack and deliver summer meals to those families as well. Oh, wow. Okay. That's so cool. Um, So how do you reach families? I'm asking this question because like in the school system, we just uh, moved from it was a public school system and it was like a choice school in the public school system. And the public school system in Indianapolis isn't that great. But all the people applying for these choice schools are like upper middle class, right? Like they're the ones, they want to stay in the public school, but they want to go to the choice school. And my heart was always like, how do you reach the people that you really need to reach to get into these choice schools so that you truly have a diverse school system, right? So my question to you is like, how do you reach the families that might not know about how to apply and how to register online and all that, all those, all those extra steps that I might take for something, but someone who's English as a second language or just might have a single mom who has like a million other things on her mind. Like, how do you reach out to those people? No, it's a great question. And to be honest, that was our biggest hurdle in starting the pantry because we're a wealthy suburb. Um, People don't, didn't even still don't to this day realize that there is food insecurity in New Albany. It's in every suburb. I mean, statistically, food insecurity is growing in the suburbs faster than it's growing anywhere else. There's a lot of really interesting reasons for that. But so people didn't realize there was a need. And you're right. It was really hard to find the people because, of course, imagine you're living in New Albany, right? White picket fences, million dollar houses. The stigma is horrible to say, I need help, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so that was our biggest challenge in finding the families. I will say the school has been the, the single biggest partner that allowed us to do that. They push our information through their website, through their channels, and through all of their outreach because we literally, we, we can't, they can't tell us, right, who are the families on free and reduced lunch. They can't tell us that, but they can share our information. So that was really the first tip of the spear was the fam- were the families that qualified for free and reduced lunch in the school system, which here is about 10 to 12%. So it's about 500 kids. Um, we just said, here's a food pantry flyer. Here's all our information. Please push it out through these channels. So that was really the first way. And then a lot of it is just you know, posting information online, um, sharing it through the website. We do stay really um, stay in contact with the ESL, the English as a Second Language Teachers. I would say all about 35 to 40% of our pantry um, are families that English is their second language. In fact, we started an ELL program for that reason. So it's really cool just to, you, you almost had to find those networks and just push the information through it. And then it's word of mouth. A lot of it is just families sharing with one another that there are these resources. So it's still an ongoing battle. We're constantly trying to reach more people, but 
I would say the school and those ELL programs and just pushing that information out through the community in every avenue we can and making it engaging and fun and not something that's shameful, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's been really helpful for us. Hey, everybody, a quick break here. Finding a doctor and booking a doctor who's right for you doesn't need to be a terrible experience. Will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you can see them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be refreshingly pain-free. Yes. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. You can go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. And just like that, you're booked. Go to ZocDoc.com slash yelling and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's zocdoccom slash yelling. ZocDoc.com slash yelling. And now back to my conversation. Um, okay, so you are the executive director for Healthy New Albany. And yes. this, this is like you guys listening, like this is like such a cool program and the food pantry is part of it. Like it's all one big umbrella, right? So can you explain to us what healthy new Albany does? Yes, sure. So, um, yeah, so that I transitioned. So I was the executive director of the food pantry and then our organization, healthy new Albany was founded by Dr. Phil height. He was an OSU professor in health and wellness. He wrote most of the textbooks that are used across the U S for health uh, health textbooks. So he's an author, he's a publisher, and he sat in this desk before I was here. So he was running Healthy New Albany. His vision, it really started as a walk. So he used to be a marathoner. He couldn't run anymore as he got older. So he started walking, um, obviously realized the tremendous health benefits of walking. So he started a walking club. And then that walking club got so big and um, people just loved it so much in the community that he had this grand idea. He's a huge visionary that he wanted to really promote in our community health and wellness. And how better to do that than to get some great partners and build a building in the center of the city and commit all of these programs and work to health and wellness. So being Phil, the guy that he is, he went to the city of New Albany, um, a lot of the leadership, Ohio State University, Nationwide Children's Hospital, and said, let's build a building, let's put all these resources under one roof, and then we can you know, look at the impact we can have. So sure enough, the city was on board, OSU and nationwide run board. So they built our facility five years ago. Um, so that's the building we're in and we are the nonprofit in the building. So it's a really cool partnership with the, the people that I just mentioned. We They operate OSU Wexner Medical Center on the other side of the building and the fitness center, nationwide children's, they all have offices upstairs. So one side of the house is medical offices. And then we are the nonprofit kind of almost like a community rec center. So under our umbrella, we operate the food pantry, um, a farmer's market, community garden. Um, we have an accredited school of yoga. We have lots of races. Um, so our race series fund a lot of the work that we do. And then a senior connections program for 55 and older. And then all the wellness programs um, in-house and out in the community that ranges from culinary, nature classes, Tai Chi, um, you name it, anything you could could think of as far as community wellness. So that is the overarching umbrella um, that is Healthy New Albany. I mean, I feel like you have the coolest job ever. I do. <laughs> I totally do. Yes. Does your day-to-day though, like are you like writing grants? Like what does your day-to-day operation look like? Yeah, it's insane. I will say I am doing everything from writing grants to unloading trucks for a race, which is what I'm dressed like this day because I'll be unloading boxes and we have a race tomorrow morning. Um it's the gamut because COVID was terrible in so many ways, but it gave us the opportunity to kind of step back, regroup and strategize how we wanted to grow the organization. And we really, I mean, we've almost tripled in size over COVID. So all of our programs are growing. All of the work is growing. Our staff is growing. So as part of that growth process, I'm just kind of across the board, right? I'm checking in every day with all of our service lines and there's just constant work to do because I feel like we're truly on a growth pattern, but it's amazing that, you know, we, I have this opportunity and we can reach the community in so many cool, beautiful, unique ways. Um, tell us about the race series. 
Yes, so our races are <clears throat> what funds the organization primarily. And as I said, um, Phil's Walk that started this organization that provided all the funding was called the New Albany Walking Classic. So that race is every year. This will be our 18th year. Um, it happens every September. And it's a huge event where everybody kind of convenes on Market Square, 1,500 to 2,500 people. It's a beautiful walk through the community. And then there's a big after party. Um, we're kind of known for our race gear. So you get a lot of cool swags, gooder sunglasses, sweatshirts, quarter zips, um, all kinds of medals. And so definitely um, the races are something that people love in the community and draws everyone together. And it's a, a beautiful way to to provide funding for the organization as well. So I would say this year we're doing five races. The Walking Classic is the last one. We started in February with the Chili Chili Mile. So it's a quick one mile run in the dead of winter. Um, we're doing the Mother's Day 5K this Saturday at Easton. On May 21st, we will do the Founder's Day 5K, kicking off Founder's Day in New Albany. And then over the summer, um, in conjunction with Nationwide Children's Hospital, we're doing a kids marathon virtual. So keeping the kids running at home, um, and then we'll finish our last mile together. So the races are a way to keep people active and fund our organization. So cool. Um, let's go, let's talk about the kids marathon then for a little bit, because since this is a podcast for parents, I love, I love this. Can people do it virtually from all over the country? What does it look like? Yes, it's virtual. We're getting ready to send all the packets we'll go home with the school age kids. So we want to keep them busy over the summer and the school's been a tremendous partner. So we'll get a, a cool bag of goodies to send out through the school. Um, so they will get that here locally, but anybody can do it. Um, it's newalbanykidsmarathon.org, I think, or you can go to our website, healthynewalbany.org, and there's a link to the marathon and it's the, there's a tracking sheet. So you can do one mile a day, two, I think the max is three miles a day. We don't want kids going out and getting hurt. Um, but it's just a way to get active and get engaged. We encourage the kids to do it with their families. Um, walking, it's running. If you're in a wheelchair, you can go on your wheelchair, whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's accessible virtually just to get people busy and um, engaged. We are encouraging people to take photos while you're out um, and posting them. So yeah, it's, it's open to anyone anywhere. I love that. I love, I love the idea of getting out with your kids every day. And I think a one mile is like, so attain, is it one, 1 1.2 or just one mile a day is like so attainable. Yeah. And it's, it's powerful. I will say I never, I'm a runner. I didn't realize even just the benefits of walking and being out in nature. And it's funny, you go, your go out with your kids and they're like, you know, they're looking at things differently. And instead of flying by on a bike or whatever, it's, it's a slower pace there's conversation and just the benefits of being out in nature. It's really, it's more powerful than I ever really realized. How do you motivate your kids though? If they're like complaining about it, because even kids that want to do it, sometimes they're going to complain about it. You know what? I, actually, I started doing, cause mine do complain. We, we would take <laughs> scooters, skateboards sometimes, right. To kind of mix it up. We would have a destination. So we'd walk to get ice cream or something, oh, right. Just trick them. Um, but we also started walking at night, which they thought was kind of cool. Like we did yeah. And go out at night and it's, you know, you just don't do that. Go walking at night. So I think they thought that was kind of cool. If I could get myself to get dinner done earlier, I like, yeah. I think that our kids would love that too. Like, okay, we have dinner, go out and walk. But I feel like right now I'm in such a like phase of like, ah, dinner, 730 and then like hustling to bedtime. So, and also I know your kids, uh, don't they play soccer? Uh, travel baseball. 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 Yeah. Um, it's, it kind of gets tricky to do an early dinner once you get involved in sports. I mean, I was home, my seven year old gets home from soccer on Thursdays at like seven fifteen cause he does six to seven. So it's like, well, then if you're trying to all eat together, you're eating at seven thirty, trying to clean up, like it's eight o'clock before you know it. Right. No. And honestly, sometimes it drives me nuts. I literally, I'll throw the dishes in the sink. I don't look at them. It makes me crazy. And we just grab our flashlights and go, you know, you just prioritize it. Yeah. And sometimes I keep up, to be honest, I'll keep them up late. I'll let them stay up till 930, right? It doesn't matter. That's it, so good. Something, you know, let's mix it up a little. So I've, I've had multiple conversations on the podcast about like sports and when to specialize and all these things. So I'm super curious the decision process for you and how you decided like, okay, we're going to do the travel thing. We're going to go all in. Oh, I said no, not no, but hell no. I was like, <laughs> no, I don't want to do anything about this. But they just... They love it. And they got in with a group and it started early. Like we started playing. I mean, they started playing at like three or four, right? How everybody does now, which is so nuts. So they're playing T-ball at three. 
but they really loved it. And my oldest started in and then he, uh, he tried out for a travel team at eight and made the travel team. So it was like from then on, it just was a part of our life. And then of course the second one wants to do what the first yeah. one does. You know? So it was literally just inevitable. And we tried to do multiple other things, right? We did a little soccer and we did a, these other things, but it was really their preference. They really said, I just, I really love baseball and we really want to do it. And our friend group ended up being all the baseball people. So honestly, half of it's probably inertia. Yeah. It's so hard too, because, um, right now my boys play soccer and I don't have them and signed up for other sports and I want to provide them the opportunity to do the other things. And also just like, you know, agility wise, like do other motion body motions and things like that. But I also don't want to live a life where I just overschedule my kids. You know what I mean? So it's challenging because if you do spend a lot of time on the one thing they love a lot, it's like, well, do I really want to pile on two other sports just to give them the exposure? Like, I don't want to be overly busy just to be overly busy. There's, It's a hard balance. Yeah. No. And we've had that conversation and we still have it. Um, and we, we, you know how it is. You just, at some point, you all, you just have to choose. They really love this. We have a dedicated kind of routine. Like we commit our lives essentially to baseball now, right? Like it's every weekend and it's become a family thing. It's become the thing we do together. So I think in that way, we've ruled everything else out because you literally, you can't do everything, right? So we've just made that choice. And I know people do say, right, like you should provide them other opportunities to play different sports, but it just it's not achievable for us with they're both on a rec team and a travel team. So I'm like, well, we can only do what we can do. So right. If, and, and in hindsight, right. I think too, Oh my gosh, well, I didn't do sports till seventh third grade. Right. I mean, the kids are going to be fine. Yeah. I think the biggest tragedy though, is the overscheduling. Like you just have to, to stop at some point and say it's too much. It's too much. And just because your neighbor's doing it doesn't mean you have to. Yeah. In fact, if your neighbor and everybody else is doing it, that's probably a sign that you shouldn't be doing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Go against the grain because it makes sense. Even though it's hard, it makes sense. You, it's just, it's it's honestly sad to me to see how much people try to do. And then they have no quality of life because they're just running around like crazy people. I, um, I've, I've also reconciled this that we don't do multiple sports. I am going to sign them up for basketball, like a league at the church down the street like a super chill thing just so that they can learn some skills and whatever but I also like they run around the neighborhood and like throw the football and play street hockey and I'm like that's playing other sports it's just not organized absolutely which is probably better anyways like why do we all have to have organized sports can't you just gone are the days where you go out and play street hockey right I mean that's so valuable yeah for sure so one thing I love about what you're doing with Healthy New Albany, I just feel like I, I, I'm i kind of a broken record on saying this. I feel like the um, missed opportunity with COVID messaging with the government and everybody was just like, we need to get people moving their bodies. You know, once we got everybody like we, we kind of knew what was going on and we distanced ourselves, vaccines came out, all that the big message, in my opinion, needed to be like, exercise 30 minutes a day, move your body like this is going to be your biggest defense. And I love that what you're doing with Healthy New Albany, COVID aside, just embraces that entire concept. Because if every American would spend 30 minutes moving their body every day, like what a difference this country would have. Totally. A million percent. Like I am on your soapbox and not just physically, but mentally it, we, we, like I said, through COVID, we did not stop. We were open the whole time. I would say short of maybe three weeks we were working and it was rotating through the offices. People were coming in. We were doing distance events. And honestly, we had a, um, we embraced for let's live, which is a Swedish word for like embracing the elements. So that was our push through all of COVID was embracing for let's live. I don't know how to say it, but for let's live. And it's essentially, no matter what the elements are, get out and enjoy them and move your body. Even in the dead of winter, you will benefit so much mentally, physically, emotionally. But to be honest, our country is so backwards when it comes to that anyways. It's not really healthcare. It's like sick care. And the the concept of prevention um, and upstream prevention from chronic disease, it's, they don't, we don't do it well. Just it's, and I'm in a, a master of public health program right now. And 
it's shocking to me. I just assumed that all of these kind of built-in understanding concepts were already there within the clinical medical field. And they're so not. It's clinical medicine and treating illness and then prevention over here. And it's, they don't connect. And it makes no sense. We spend so much money on sick care and medicine and treating illness. If you put a, you know, a sliver of that to prevention, um, we'd be light years ahead because that's what really controls your health and your wellness are those prevention behaviors. And nobody puts money or time or energy into it. So you're, you're absolutely right. How do we freaking change that? I mean, that is just like, it's one of those things that I think about all the time, but then I'm like, well, what can I do? But like, you're the executive director of Healthy New Albany. So like, there's something to do. Yes. In fact, that that is something. So we talk about this a lot. And I think it's very grassroots, right? Honestly, I think there's people at the higher level that at the university level are beginning to teach that connection point be, between social determinants of health and, you know, right? Like even that word, if people, many people don't even know what that means, right? Go Google social determinants of health and, and learn what that means. And then how do you bring that individually to your community? I think that's one simple way. And I think like, you know, the, the, the bigger people out there in the healthcare field, the hospital systems and the universities, they are teaching things differently. So at the higher level, they are beginning to make those connections. Um, the amount of money that is spent on health or sick care and the lack of money that goes to preventative care, I mean, I think that'll take 100 years to switch, right? But I think they're working on that. Um, I think a lot of it is, is going to be, as everything is, grassroots. Figure out what you can do locally. And at some point, the grassroots will meet the top down and, you know, our system will, will shift where people recognize the value of, you know, our health behaviors and our environment and those social determinants of health and how they impact us in very tangible ways. I always think about this, too, back to like the food pantry and how to reach people that need the service. It's like how to reach people that don't have the resources that you and I have because oftentimes those are the people that need to move their bodies and might not have, I mean, let's be honest, like training for a marathon is a luxury. We have the time to do it. We have the resources to pay for childcare for training or buy, you know, $120 shoes. So it's like part of that, that is a big part of the gap. It is. And I think we're just now, even through COVID was a huge opportunity for people to begin to understand health inequities that exist. Like I said, I, this is not my background. I've learned it over the last five or six years, but just being in the, the master of public health program at Ohio state and studying the health disparities that exist between minority populations and the white populations, it is shocking. I mean, maternal health rates and, um, it's just, it's unbelievable. I'm literally reading the statistics about Columbus and infant mortality rates, and they are comparable to third world countries. It's shocking. I literally would not have believed it. Had you told me those statistics that we are in Columbus, Ohio, the same as a third world country when it comes to infant mortality, our black babies are dying at that rate. I would not have believed it, but it's true. So I think just you know, that understanding of the health inequities, at least people are beginning to talk about mm -hmm. it and understand it. And if you know it, if you know better, you can do better, right? So I think we're getting there. And I think a lot of it are the grassroots nonprofits that work in the communities, the underserved communities, the minority communities that are bringing those resources to them. And thankfully, the, um, the healthcare, you know, universities and healthcare systems are getting behind it. So they're putting their bajillion dollars towards minority, you know, improving health for minority populations and the underserved. So I think we're getting there. Um, but it's a long road for sure. Yeah. It's one of those things that just feels so big. Yeah. So big. All right, everybody, I have a sponsor to thank for this episode, and that is Amino Company. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time getting motivated to work out, specifically strength train. Running is kind of a no-brainer for me, but when I know I need to strength train like twice a week, a little extra pep in my step goes a very long way. As a runner, as I age, the more I realize how important strength training is to me. So I love Amino Company's product Perform. So what I usually will do is I will run like five miles, I'll take the Amino Company supplement, 
and then I will lift weights. And it gives you a more focused workout. It gives you some energy and even better, it helps improve strength performance, reduces fatigue and increases muscle protein synthesis. So we can perform and recover faster. That's great, right? If we're gonna put all this work in, we wanna recover as fast as possible and be good to our bodies. So the cool thing is the Amino Company science is unmatched with over 30 years of experience, over 500 medical research papers published and over 70,000 times cited by other researchers. So this product specifically that I'm using, Perform, was created by lead scientist and co-founder, Dr. Robert Wolf. As a competitive athlete himself, he's run over 62, 230 marathons. What? Um, he's still running and fueling his body with this product at the age of 74. So if you are looking for a little nutritional advantage for optimal health in your workouts, check out Amino Company's Perform. Right now, you can get 30% off by using the code SANDYBOY when you visit aminoco.com slash SANDYBOY and use the code SANDYBOY at checkout. So for 30% off, you can go to aminoco.com slash sandyboy and use the code sandyboy. Plus, you get a free gift with every purchase. All right, friends, back to my conversation. So I guess an action item would be like find what your where your grassroots nonprofits are in your local community. Yes, a thousand percent. And get involved, even if it's taking your kids to volunteer at the food pantry or going to one of their walk events that raises money, right? I mean, it's so easy. And there are in every community a grassroots organization. For example, I mean, with the food pantry, when when we were looking at the landscape, I literally said to myself, surely there's a food pantry here. Hmm. There has to be one because I cannot believe that there's not an accessible food pantry. And I look around, look around, research. okay, there's not one okay, I guess I started. I mean, as ridiculous as that sounds, I think people can do that. And I think that when we say audacious things like that, you feel like, I always feel like if I say I'm going to do something, I feel almost embarrassed. Like, can I do that? Like, am I, am I the person that's supposed to do this? Are people going to be like, why is she trying to do that? You know, we get embarrassed. Yeah. Oh, I do. Why? There's like a, a, a theory about, it'll come to me the name of it. Um, imposter syndrome. Yeah. I have it every day. I literally sit at this, this desk like, and I tell people, cause I can't keep it inside. I'm like, you guys, I have no idea why I'm sitting at this desk. <laughs> a million other people that should be doing this work. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just passionate and I'm figuring it out. And I'm surrounding myself with people that know what they're doing because I don't. I mean, Eileen and I, the lady that I was telling you helped me start it. We literally look at each other sometimes and we're like, oh my gosh, they're letting us do this work. We don't know what we're doing. But you know what I mean? You just do it and you figure it out. And I think that's what life's about, right? I have zero fear of failure, I guess. And that's what helped me get here to do this. If I literally fail and everybody says to me, wow, that was tragic and you really screwed it all up. That doesn't bother me because I think, well, gosh, at least I tried. You know what I mean? And if you can go into any project or endeavor thinking worst case scenario, if this flops and I look like a complete idiot, am I okay with that? If so, then I'm good to go. Right. I think the doors are wide open at that point. So I kind of came to that realization, like I'm going to put my all into this. It's coming from my heart and I have to believe that that's valuable in some way. Yeah. I think that that fear of failure is what stops people. And then one thing I've always felt really passionate about is like, if you believe in the work you're doing and you believe it's something special and you believe it's good, you gotta, you gotta not care about what other people think you're doing or think that like, you know, you're frying a fish that's too big for you, you know, like you just gotta go all in. Um, okay. Last topic before we move to end a podcast, how do you communicate? Cause, cause what we were talking about with this, like, um, health in America and moving our bodies and everything, this is going to be like our kids generation you know, I think that's going to be huge. So like how we communicate to our kids and all the, all the kids that we're around on a regular basis. 
And so I always try to be really mindful about like how I talk to my kids about moving their bodies and it being a way of life. And that's how we take care of ourselves. And same with food. Um, Like we're fueling our bodies. Like it's so good to enjoy food, but like what are we fueling our bodies with and how is that going to help us feel good and, and do good? So how do you communicate with your kids the importance of movement with their bodies? Honestly, I think, and I thought about this very purposefully, and I think the best way to do it for me personally is to just do it. Mm. And by example, so I make sure that they see me like out running or walking and actively engaging in wellness activities. I want them to know that, that I do it and I do it consistently and they do. So I'm always like, I'm going for a run or I'm going to go for a walk. So I, I communicate it like that. And then I think for me also the, um, the, it's not just the physical, but it's the mental. So I, and my one has a little bit of anxiety and I see it already. So I literally wanted a space in the house where it's like a, so I put a meditation cushion and it's a quiet space. There's no TVs, there's no technology. And I set it up for myself. So he would see me doing it Mm. and meditating in this space and being quiet in this space. So he would learn that if I'm feeling crazy brain, I see my mom do these things. So I think for me, it's setting aside a dedicated space. And you don't have to say like, go in there, right? Because he's not going to listen to me. (laughs) But if he sees me doing it, I'm hopeful that he will make that connection. I love that idea. Now I'm like, where could I make a space like that in my house? Yeah, find one anywhere. It doesn't have to be big. Closet, a corner. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, okay, I'm so one to overthink this and be like, it has to be this like perfect space. But like, no, Lindsay, just do it. Yeah. And I put my books there and a candle, like I have a little table and it's just a, it's, and they know, like they kind of like joke around about it now. Like they'll go sit on the meditation mat and they'll be like, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're making that connection and they see me sitting there and my books are there. And yeah. So a corner is probably fine with a nice cozy cushion or something, you I know? I love it. I have one that has some pretty, some anxiety that it's, it's very like, it's very much what I have experienced myself and I can see it when it boils up. And, um, my husband is a super non-anxious person. So whenever he's struggling with anxiety, my son, I process it so much differently than my husband. And I, I try so hard to communicate with him. Like, I get it. Like, I get what you're feeling right now. But man, that's hard. It's it's hard to know what to say, even if you've struggled with it yourself. Yeah, no, it, it's literally, I don't have, because it terrifies you. Like, you want to fix it so bad and you want to be able to help them. And you, I, yeah, I think it's, you're so close to it. It's difficult to know what to say. I don't know either most of the time, to be honest. Yeah, I mostly try to listen. And, and help him understand, like, it's okay to feel his feelings and then try to work with him on how to like move, move on to the next thing. But yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. I need to maybe record an episode specifically on that. Yeah. Well, I had a therapist actually one time say, try this at home. And it was like magical. I was like, is that going to work? Okay, we'll try it. But he said, go in and like, make yourself vulnerable. So at the kitchen table, say like, oh my gosh, this person today was so mean to me this is what they did. And this is how it made me feel. And, you know, just whatever, whatever it is you're feeling, like be that feeling and and communicate that. And sure enough, literally by the end of the dinner, my husband was the one who was saying it. The one son with anxiety was voicing the same thing. Like, yeah, you know, somebody did this to me and it made me feel this way. And I was like, wow, that was crazy. Like it immediately caused him to connect and then to feel comfortable enough to share because he saw a parent doing it. And I was like, Because I think we sometimes as parents, you always want to be happy and smiling. And you know what I mean? You don't want to show that you're struggling. And the therapist was actually like, no, 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 don't. You need to show you're vulnerable and show that emotion so they feel comfortable doing the same. And I thought, wow, that was magic. That's I bet Brené Brown would back that up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, All right, Angela, this has just been wonderful. I can't believe I didn't even know until yesterday that I was going to get to do this interview, but this has been the highlight of my day for sure. Thank you. It was so great talking to you and thank you for doing this. I don't, I I mean, these podcasts that are like streaming out the world, I'm not. They're everywhere. (laughs) I love it though. And it's so cool. And it's just, you're doing such good work in doing these. So thank you. A couple into podcast questions. Um, What is something 
I know you're getting your master's right now, which is exciting. We didn't even get to talk about how you're balancing all that, but what is something professionally or personally you would like to do that you haven't done yet? I would love to write a book at some point. Do you know what on? I just would love like a cliff notes version of like all the stuff I learned in life, like that I could pass on Mm. before I (laughs) I love that. What's a trip or a place that you have gone with your family, with your kids that you would recommend? Um, we don't, we go nowhere. I feel like (laughs) you travel baseball. (laughs) I know travel baseball. No. Um, you know, I honestly, I want to go, I I haven't gone, but I want to desperately go. I feel like international, right. Just from what we were talking about before giving kids that Mm. perspective, it's really on my heart to get kids out of the U S into somewhere else just to see another part of the world. Love it. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Best, most recent book. Oh, I just read the piano. So good. I think it was the piano teacher. Okay. Um, and then do you have a kid's book, like a younger kid's book or like a book your kids now enjoy that you recommend? I love a book called stone soup. Okay. And they all come together and they, um, it's about like a community coming together and bringing a little something to the soup and they all bring stones and it's a really cool, beautiful, um, story. I love that. Okay. Last question. What is your last message to leave with our audience today? The only way I know how to work is from your heart. So I feel like for me, tuning into your heart and your intuition and how divinity flows through you, we are literally like walking around um, with divine energy in each of us. So if you can tap into that every single day and just work from that place, I think um, it's magical. All right, friends, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Angela, for all the hard work you are doing and for inspiring the rest of us. We appreciate you being on the show. And if you all want to learn more about what she's doing in Ohio, you can go to healthynewalbany.org. Friends, I would love to connect with you outside of this podcast. You can find me personally on Instagram. I'm lindsayhines626. You can also follow uh, this podcast and Sandy Boy Productions on Instagram. Why is everyone yelling? And Sandy Boy Productions. Email me anytime if you have suggestions or ideas for the show or people you want to hear from. Or just, you know, if you want to tell me anything, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com is my email. I hope you're finding value and joy and comfort and community and maybe some tips along the way when listening to this podcast. And I'm just so grateful you're here. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. Have a great rest of your day and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling? 